I want to start off with a little story uh, that began before time when I was growing up. So when I was growing up, we often entertained ourselves by looking at old photo albums. All right, kids, a photo album, it's kind of like a notebook, like it's actual paper notebook, and we used to print pictures, that was the only way we could look at them, and we would stick them into the album, the pictures that we printed, and, and then we would put them on a shelf. Now, because we did not have the capacity, the ability to take pictures of every single thing in our lives with our phones, the photos we did take became important memories to kind of mark the way the years went by. And, and I can tell you that I still talk to friends and family and, and other people of my vintage, and we can remember individual photographs that were taken years ago. Oh, yeah, remember that one we took at Pirate's World? Remember that one we took at Bush Gardens? Whatever. Anyway, in, in what I believe is the oldest photo album in my family... Uh, I recalled a picture that was taken when my, my parents visited Niagara Falls shortly after the creation. It was a long time ago. <laughs> now, first, that's my dad, by the way, the dashing young man. You, you, most of you guys know him. Still dashing, not quite as young. But for some reason, I love this picture. I remember looking at it in the photo book. It was this gray photo book with these kind of crinkly pages. I remember all of it. I could, I could smell it in my head. But to me, Niagara Falls was just this place of majesty and wonder. Like, I could never imagine visiting it. And I, by the way, I have not visited it yet either. But it is this huge waterfall that stands on the, on the boundary between two countries, right? America and Canada. And I used to look at the picture all the time. Anyway, I even went to the library. <sighs> okay, kids. <laughs> a library is a place where we kept books. So, like, imagine the internet, but on paper. It was kind of sort of like that. We used to go there and read about a lot of stuff, and you could learn things. And anyway, I looked for pictures and information about this natural wonder, the, the wonderful Niagara Falls. And when I was... Preparing for this message this morning, I, I, I asked my mom to send me this picture, and it was exactly as I remembered. And I thought, this is so cool. Like, that's Niagara Falls. By the way, that's how bad the colors were back in those days. Colors have become more vibrant also as time has gone on, thank God. But I thought it was so cool. Millions of people have visited Niagara Falls, and they honeymoon at Niagara Falls. And there's this boat ride called the Maid of the Mist that you ride sort of behind the falls, and you get all wet, and you put on a raincoat and all that stuff. And a lot of people tried to ride over Niagara Falls in a barrel to varying degrees of success. Not the smartest idea. Don't do that at home. That's what it looks. See? See? In 2021 color, that's what it looks like. Anyway. Anyway, I happened upon this story of, of how they set up the first bridge across the Niagara Gorge. And it's a pretty interesting story, so indulge me if you would. On November 9th, 1847, a civil engineer, his name was Charles Ellett Jr., was commissioned to build a bridge across the gorge, across the Niagara Gorge. Now, it took place in the mid-19th century, so technology wasn't quite as it is today, and there were some engineering challenges to consider, and of course, the largest one was how? Like, how do you even start? Like, how do you even get the first cable to go all the way across 
That gorge, an 825-foot chasm that they found the narrowest point, with 225-foot cliffs on either side. So how do you do this? So Ellett assembled a team in order to tackle the project. And one member of the team was an iron worker by the name of Theodore Hewlett. And he suggested this. He suggested a kite flying contest. So, shortly thereafter, they held the contest, and it was won by a 15-year-old boy named Homan Walsh. And Homan Walsh, the little boy, was able to fly his kite across the expanse. By the way, he won the cash prize, $10. That's a lot of money, a lot of money back then. Anyway, after that initial flight, then they attached a stronger line to the kite, and then they attached a rope to the kite, and then they attached a cable consisting of 36 strands of 10-gauge wire. And eventually, the world's first railway suspension bridge would be constructed across that space, and that bridge was strong enough to support a 170-ton locomotive. Why am I telling you all of this? Well, I'm telling you this because I want you to notice that the whole thing started with one single kite string. One single kite kite string. Everything big begins with something little. And when we do little things like they're big things, God will do big things like they're little things. Won't you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for another opportunity to gather together as your people. Thank you for this being Mother's Day, for allowing us to celebrate the women who brought us into this world, the women whom We love who gave us life. God, as we continue on this morning and we take a look into the scripture, we ask that you would use it to change our hearts, to change our minds, and really, most importantly, to draw us closer to you. God, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're now here at the fourth installment in our series, Win the Day. We've been talking about how if we want to live abundantly and to fulfill God's design in our lives, then God's word, then the Bible, needs to form the foundation of everything that we do and everything that we are. Now, we kicked off this series a few weeks ago by talking about how if we wanted to win the day, we needed to flip the script. We, can't, we, can, we can change our lives by, by changing our stories. By, if you don't like your story, well, start another one. If we can see our challenges as opportunities that have been presented to us, we'll be able to experience God's abundance so that we can bring him glory in all that we do. The following week, we talked about how we can win the day if we could learn to kiss the wave. We talked about how if we can learn to take a step in faith, we can go from victim to victor. Then two weeks ago, before last weekend, we talked about how we can win the day when we learn to eat The frog, we learned that if we can discipline ourselves to tackle our biggest daily challenge first, then God will do big things in and through our lives. Well, today, we're going to see how we can begin to live abundant lives for God by learning to fly the kite. So now, our main point today is quite simple. The point is this, how you do anything is how you will do everything. If you're faithful with a little you'll be faithful with a lot. Or, as Jesus said in Luke 16, 10, if you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large things. But if you were dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with the greater responsibilities. When 
our sons were little, we taught them about giving, about tithing. We taught them about returning 10% of the money that they earned. When you're little, you don't earn money. You're really given money. You're giving gifts and allowance and stuff like that. But we said, the money that you receive, it comes from God anyway. So you get into the practice of giving 10% of that back to God, just to show that the money doesn't have a hold over everything you are. Now, when you have little kids, the amounts of money we're talking about are fairly obviously not significant, although I'm sure in some families maybe they are, but they're very meaningful nonetheless. See, we were seeking to help our sons become faithful in the little things so that later on in life, that training would manifest itself in a bigger way. So for tithing, if you've always been a tither, if it's the only way you've ever known, well, there's a really good probability you will always be a tither. If you've always given 10%, you never owned it in the first place, you, you just give it back. It's, it's a mindset. And over the years, I got to tell you that it's funny how non-tithing works. I've known a lot of people. And if you have promised me this, I guess I'm talking about you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I've known a lot of people that have promised me, if I win the lottery, Russell you'll get 10%, the church will get 10% of the winnings. And that is a wonderful story for sure. By the way, if you did win the lottery, please come see me after church. I want to talk a little bit to you. But that's not exactly what God was getting at when he addressed the tithe. He was, he was, he was getting at this, this understanding that we have of all of our resources and where they come from and to whom they belong. And if a person isn't generous with a little treasure they typically won't be generous with a large treasure. Generosity always starts right away. It starts right where we are, right with what we have at the time. Remember the, the widow's mite, the, the widow who gave her last two what we call pennies, because that's all she had, but she gave. See, it didn't matter how much it mattered about her heart. By the way, the same thing goes for our time. I have spoken to so many people over the years that say that they'll serve God more when they have more time. The fact of the matter is, of course, does anyone have more time? No, we don't. We all have the same time. We all have 24 hours in every day. See, I've tried. I simply cannot find any more hours in the day, and you can't either. And the truth is, we don't ever have more time. We make more time. And you figure out a way to make time if it's something you really want to do. Now, I've worked with people who've, who've made a habit of, of doing the bare minimum, but they still hang on to the notion that someday they'll be really hard workers. They'll step up their efforts if a really big opportunity presents itself. But like the lottery tithers, that's kind of a delusional way of thinking. People who aren't giving all of their all, their all I guess, in their current situation rarely show a higher gear if a big thing comes along. It's simply not the way it works. Now... God prepares us by giving us little things so that we can kind of flex our muscles, so we can develop our skills and talents to be applied in bigger ways as our proficiency grows. Now, dreaming about things and dreaming big is nice, but the fact of the matter is no matter how big your dreams are, you have to start small. You have to start with a single kite string, if you will, before you can build a bridge that'll support a 170-ton locomotive and connect two countries. Now, this brings us to today's Bible verses. We will be spending our time today in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, in the book of the prophet Zechariah. So first, a little background, just so you know who he is. Zechariah was born into a priestly family. So he was somehow connected to the Levite tribe, born into a priestly family, which made him a priest, 
but also he was a prophet. So he's a prophet and a priest. Now, he was among the Hebrews that the Persian king Cyrus allowed to return to the Holy Land in 538 BC to rebuild the temple that the Babylonians had destroyed, the Iraqis had destroyed 50 years earlier. Now, his prophecies were very encouraging, and they emphasized the tone of encouragement to the struggling Israelites who had gone back home to try to rebuild their destroyed temple. Now, Zechariah was a contemporary of the people you've heard of before, perhaps, who built the temple, Ezra, Nehemiah, and the greatest name in the Bible, Zerubbabel. All right? Now, for our purposes today, here is what Zechariah wrote in Zechariah 4.6. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. Okay, so this is Zechariah hearing about what God said to Zerubbabel, the one who was building the wall. It is not, by, uh, it is not by, my, by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. All right, so what do we have here? So, begin with this statement that I've highlighted. It's not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. See, our power to do big things in life doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from God. I remember walking into church on my very first day as a pastor at my previous church, first church I ever worked at. I parked my car in the parking lot. I stepped out and I grabbed my stuff from my back seat and I started walking in and then I had this thought. This thought just hit me. I just left a career that I was pretty good at and I'm starting something I have literally no clue how to do. Am I crazy? Like, am I out of my mind? Why? I, I really had that thought. It turned out I wasn't, thankfully. And I learned the expression, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. See, I didn't have to do that new job in my own strength because I had the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to guide me. Now, I probably could have powered my way through and tried to figure out my new role, but I didn't need to. God would equip me to do more than I ever imagined I could do. Now, King David knew the same Principle. Now remember, remember King David, right? Remember he fought this big giant Philistine by the name of Goliath. Very good. This is, this is participatory, so you can jump in anytime. No, whatever. Now Goliath, if you remember the story, he sneered at little David and he taunted him. But David stood his ground because he knew the power that he had behind him. This is the story from 1 Samuel 17. David replied to the Philistine, that's Goliath, you come to me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. By the way, it's pretty specific, isn't it? Here's what's going to happen to you, right? You see it in a movie and you go, wow, that guy's really bad, you know? And well, David was as well. God takes on our seemingly insurmountable challenges and God gets all the glory. But what if? What if it's a really big challenge? What if we're facing a mountain-sized challenge? Well, God has that covered too. We go back to Zechariah 4, 7, nothing not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. 
Now, we need to remember that when we belong to God, when we've understood that notwithstanding our innate sinfulness, when we've understood that Jesus loves us anyway, and out of his love for us, he's made a way for each and every one of us to be connected to God forever because he paid for all our sins on the cross and he came back from the dead. And if we turn our back on the natural way that we were born with the self-centered heart and we turn to God and make our heart a God-centered heart, then Jesus will save us for this life and for all of eternity. We'll have this abundance here. We'll have this abundance in heaven connected to him forever. And if you've given your life to Jesus, not even a mountain can stand in your way. See, as God followers... We need to stop talking to God about our mountains and start talking to our mountains about our God. In addition to that being one way for us to, to flip the script, it's a way for us to fly the kite one string at a time. God doesn't want us to deny our mountains or our obstacles or our challenges. God wants us to confront those things with an unwavering faith as the children of the creator and as citizens of the kingdom of God. You are children of royalty. Think about it. Think about the king and queen of England. And think about their children. Those children are children of royalty. They're pretty privileged people. You are too. You're children of the king of the earth. Now, I don't know what mountain you're facing today. Is it the mountain of anxiety, addiction, anger? Is it the mountain of injustice or unforgiveness? Is it the mountain of depression or frustration? Is it the mountain of fear? It doesn't matter. The God follower needs to always remember that our God is still the God who can make a path through the sea who can turn water into wine, and who can move mountains. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. If God did it before, he can do it again. If God did it for me, he can do it for you. Why? Because God is the same yesterday and today and forever. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. Now, there are a few habits, actually, that... You can pick up from this one passage if you flip the script week one by speaking to the mountain, like we did, remember we did flip the script week one, by speaking to the mountain, you're playing offense. You're saying, no, I'm not going to take what's happening to me. I'm going to go on offense on behalf of God, reflecting God's will and God's authority, and I will bring God glory in the process. Remember week two, we said, kiss the wave. Same here. The obstacle is not the enemy. The obstacle is the way. There's no way out but to go through. You don't go around the mountain. By your faith, through God's means, God will get you through it to the other side, and you'll be a bigger person and a better person because of it. You have the authority to move mountains. How? With faith. Even with faith as small as a mustard seed. Then there's last week, week three, or two weeks ago, week three, eat the frog. How can something so small move something so big? Well, we leverage our faith and God's faithfulness, and they have this domino effect over time. If you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural. So now we go down to verse 10, and we see where we can fly the kite of faith. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. There it is. Don't despise a small beginning. Don't despise a single strand. 
God loves to see the work begin. Now, you see the reference to a plumb line. You guys know what a fine builder I am. All right. But I looked it up. A plumb line is a, a string with a heavy weight. And it's used by builders as they're building things. They hang it down and it shows them that the vertical parts of the structure are completely straight. Well, God rejoiced to see Zerubbabel bust out the plumb line as he began this massive undertaking to rebuild the temple. Here, we can see that even as the rebuilding of the temple began with one string, that's exactly as God wanted it. God looked forward to the beginning of the building. God is great because he can move mountains, but he's also great because he celebrates these small steps of faith. Now, isn't it interesting? Each of us as God's people wants to do amazing things for God. But really, if you think about it, if you read your Bible, that's not what God has called us to do. He's never called us to do amazing things for him. It's God himself who does the amazing things, and he does that for us. It's our job. It's our calling to consecrate ourselves. That means, so consecrate is where we get the word sacred. Sacred's built in there. It's to separate ourselves, to dedicate ourselves to God and his sacred, his set-apart purpose. And he's called us to do that every day, one day at a time. And he's promised us if we'll do our job, then he'll do his. If we'll fly the kite, he'll build the bridge. Now, it's interesting. We, we human beings are peculiar creatures, we're so easily overwhelmed by the size of our hopes and dreams. We've talked about this before. That's why 75% of all New Year's resolutions fail within the first month. And we just get overwhelmed. We say, oh, I'm going to do that this year. That's too long a period of time. I have resolved to speak Spanish more times than I can remember. But the magnitude of the project discourages me every time. I try to say something with my little bit of knowledge, and I think, oh boy, I don't do this very well at all, and I stop. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've wanted to go back to school to, to get a degree or to get some more training, but you've just been overwhelmed by it. Maybe you've, you've wanted to start a diet or a fitness plan, but you started and you didn't get the results and you gave up dejected. Maybe there's a household project in your house, and you just started it and you found yourself over your head. Sorry, Beth. We have a few, but we've seen today that these things can be accomplished if we develop the small daily habits that will lead us to their fruition. So let's just take a few minutes, make this practical, and then we'll be done. Here are the three keys to kite flying. Number one, give yourself a start date. Number two, dream big, but start small. And number three, if you want every day to count, you have to count the days. All right, so first, real quick, give yourself a start date. Years ago, I was sitting in the pickup line at, at the kids' school, and while well, I was sort of listening to the radio and checking things out, I looked up, and I was surprised to see the senior pastor of the church that the school was attached to, and he was walking briskly in my direction. If any of you remember, uh, Dr. Nicholas, he walked briskly. That's what he did. Huge, tall man, and walked very fast. Now, I'd never seen him anywhere near the school drop-off line before. <laughs> And he'd certainly not said much to me before that day, so it was weird, okay? But he walked up to my car, my window, and when I rolled it down, he said, I want you to sign up for the graduate seminary. There I was in my mid-30s, fairly clueless about all things Christian, and I mean that, I've told you guys that. I was facing the prospect of going to graduate school, 
And oh yeah, I was a working trial lawyer married with two very young children. So I really didn't have the time, but I promised God that I would answer his call, any call he had on my life. I said yes. And I found that this seminary offered a graduate degree that a full-time student could earn in three years. But there was no way I could be a full-time student. I had too many responsibilities. But notwithstanding, on the first day of classes, I started. And little by little, day by day, class by class, month by month, I worked my way through seminary. And after six years, I earned my Master of Divinity. By the way, I like to tell people that I crammed a three-year degree into six years. It took forever. Now, you have to understand, at the beginning, I had neither the time nor the inclination to do it. But in faith, I took a step. I started. I got started. And God made it happen. And if you want to do something big, you have to start. You just have to start. Don't let your previous excuses get in your way. You think you're not qualified? So what? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Think you're not ready? No worries. That won't stop God. I've never been ready to do anything that God's called me to do. I started practicing law at 24. Any 24-year-olds in here? You think you can practice law? No, I didn't know what I was doing. How about getting married? Anybody dating for a real long period of time, afraid to get married? How about having kids? Yeah, nobody knows how to do that. Do you remember back in the day they used to throw us out of the hospital in 24 hours, actually 23 hours? I remember getting into the car after our first son was born and thinking, looking at Beth and thinking, we don't have any idea what to do. I read all the books and everything, but wow. But you know what? God takes care of it all. If God calls, it is go time. Are you waiting for the right situation? One of my favorite atheist, troublemaking Irish playwrights, George Bernard Shaw, great source of quotes, he said this, people are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances. People who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want, and if they can't find them, they make them. Something I always tell my sons and I always hear it repeated back to me is, it is what it is. It is what it is. Don't complain about your situation. This is your situation. Deal with your situation. They used to say in the, uh, there was, there was a, a sort of a, uh, what do they call it? Demolition derby. And they would say, uh, run what you brung night. So you bring whatever car you have and that's the car you smash around. That's it. It's all you got. It is what it is. You can complain about the situation you find yourself in or you can make the most of it. Because the truth is you'll never find the perfect situation. How do I know that? Well, again, go to the Bible. In Ecclesiastes, King Solomon said this, farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. What's he saying? He's saying, fly the kite. Got it? Number two, dream big, but start small. So starting small means reversing, reverse engineering all of your goals into bite-sized daily habits. Through, through the martial arts, I was introduced many years ago to the Japanese concept of Kaizen. Kaizen is the uncompromising commitment to continual improvement. That means like every day you want to get better in every way and everything you do. So dream big, but start small. Work your way up. You have to find a way to fly the kite a little higher every day. Because if you do that, some impossibly high mountains will become level planes. The ceiling will eventually become the floor, and you can go after even bigger dreams. You have to start small, but you also have to think 
long. It's easy to get discouraged if you're going after a large, God-sized goal. We all want to throw in the towel on our goals at one point or another, but we can't lose faith in the end of the story. So you have to keep the end of the story in mind. In Stephen Covey's Seven Habits for Highly Effective People, that's one of the habits is, is start with the end in mind. Every day, every step of the way, we have to remind ourselves of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Now, it's like the story of the three bricklayers. It may be apocryphal story, which means that it, it could be true, but told by who knows, or it could be false. We don't know, but it's a good lesson. Here's how it goes. After the fire of 1666 that destroyed most of London, a renowned architect by the name of Christopher Wren was commissioned to rebuild St. Paul's Cathedral in London. As the story goes, one day in 1671, Wren was observing three bricklayers on the same scaffold. And he asked them what they were doing. And the first bricklayer said, I'm laying bricks. And the second bricklayer said, I'm building a wall. But the third bricklayer said, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. Same task, very different mindsets. Only one of them understood why he was doing what he was doing. We need to be like him. Dream big, start small, remember the end. And finally, if you want every day to count, you have to count the days. Now, if you don't, if you don't count the days, you're discounting them. And that's not just to play on words. That is an approach to life that calls us to live every day like it's the first day and the last day of our lives. Tackle every day with that kind of enthusiasm that you would have if you knew that's all you had. So we started our series a few weeks ago with a question. Can I do it for a day? Almost anyone can do almost anything for a day. But the trick is you got to get up the next day and do it again and again. And again, if you do it two days in a row, you're, you're beginning a winning streak. And that's what flying the kite is all about. Whether it's a fitness training plan or a Bible reading plan, as they say, failing to plan is planning to fail. You have to count the days. Just like you count your calories. If you're going on a diet, guess what? Don't count your calories. I promise you this, you think you eat less than you do. That's just the way it works. That's the way it works in America, especially everything's so abundant. Give yourself a starting date. Start small, think long, and if you count the days, it won't just add up. God will multiply your efforts. It's amazing how we can pyramid God's power on top of those little itty-bitty habits. If you want to break records, you have to keep records. You have to measure what matters. If it's not measurable, it isn't manageable. So part of counting the days is celebrating your progress. You have to celebrate when you see something that you want to see more of. You have to mark the milestones. That's why in certain programs, in Weight Watchers or in AA, you get, you get coupons or tickets or coins that say, look how good you've done, look how well you've done, look how far you've come. You celebrate the winning strings. All right, so now we're going to land the plane. Zechariah 4.10, do not despise these small beginnings. See, we humans have this tendency to think in the short term. We have this tendency to only be able to see things in the here and now. But that's not the way God sees things. Remember, God is not constrained by time and space. He's outside of time and space. God considers nations. He considers generations. And we tend to think that what God has for us is only for us. But God is not limited. He's using everything to the third and the fourth generation. 
We tend to overestimate the things we can do in a year, but we underestimate what God can do in 25 years. Now, I don't know what goal you're chasing, and I don't know what problem you're facing, and I don't know what habits you're trying to build or trying to break, but one thing I do know is this. If you want to do anything about it, you've got to fly the kite. You've got to give yourself a starting date. You can't accomplish what you never start. You have to learn to dream big, but start small and think long. And if you want every day to count, you need to count the days. Now, you guys know that there are decades of our lives where nothing happens. And then there are months of our lives where decades happen. I mean, isn't that true? You go along and everything's fine. And all of a sudden, wow, everything happens at once. But it all comes down to this. What kite do you need to fly? What are you waiting for? Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the word that we get from the Hebrew Bible that, that tells us that you love small beginnings and you're there with us to, to take down the mountains. So God, as we head out from here today and we think about the challenges that we face in our lives or in our jobs or in the coming week, we ask that you would give us the faith to take that first step, to, to fly that kite with one string across, trusting you to finish the job, to guide us through the rest. Because God, we know that when we're connected to you, there's nothing that you can't do through us. God, we thank you for this time. We ask for a blessing upon all the moms here today, as well as everyone. We thank you for our people who are here on site, also those online. Thank you for being here, God. We look forward to seeing how you'll use us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.